Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. This podcast, I get to speak and listen to Michelle Johnson, Director of Communications at EWTN, uh, regarding her eight-year caregiving journey with her husband, Stu. He had multiple bouts of cancer, and she's going to talk about how difficult it was uh, to care for him, but she said it's more likely to make you better and not bitter if you understand your purpose as a caregiver. I hope you enjoy the show today. Please share it with friends, and uh, thank you for joining me for Mercy Unbound. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a series that aims to provide hope, an avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have a special guest. Uh, Michelle Johnson is Director of Communications at EWTN. I met her a couple years ago when I was up there. She has more than 30 years of uh, experience in journalism and communications. Uh, she's won several awards for her work in the media. Uh, today, I asked her to join me, however, for another reason, for a book that she wrote of her own experience and struggles. Her husband struggled with cancer, and it's a beautiful book, Walking the Way of the Cross for Caregivers, How to Cope Practically, Emotionally, and Spiritually When a Loved One Has a Serious Illness. It's available at EWTNRC, that's EWTNRC for religiouscatalog.com. I suggest anybody going through the caregiver process, a lot of practical points in it, uh, in her own story as well. It's very touching and uh, you, sh you should get and read. It's a great book. Um, Michelle, thanks for writing the book. Uh, there's so many people, even in my own family, uh, going through this whole thing right now. And uh, can you just share with us uh, how the book evolved and tell, tell your story a little bit? Sure, Brian. Thanks for having me. Um, this book talks about the eight-year journey that my husband and I took through three bouts of cancer, um, the amputation of his leg up to the hip, and his resulting paralysis. He became a quadriplegic. And, you know, there are a lot of books out there that have, they're very helpful. They, they give prayers, devotions that you can say when you're going through hard times. And there's a lot of books that are about miracles. <laughs> you know, that this happened to us. And then we got this incredible thing happened and, you know, God moved in our lives, but, and th those are beautiful and I love them too, but that's not what most of us will experience. A miracle is a miracle because it's not common. And I wanted to write something that actually took people as best as I could do from the very beginning, you know, from the initial diagnosis all the way through to, if it happens, if it, death and um, which my husband did die. Um, and I, I wanted to show them that, you know, the good times aren't over. You still, you know, you can still have good times or still have meaningful times. Um, but I also wanted to be someone that could take their hand and say, look, you know, these are the kinds of things that are likely to happen to you as you go through this. And here are some of the things we did right. Here are some of the things we did wrong. Um, so each chapter starts with a, is a scripture verse. Then I, I tell the stories, not just to share my story, but to almost like parables so that to teach a lesson. 
So then there's little boxes throughout that call out those lessons learned. Um, then there are reflection questions to help you think through what you just learned in the chapter and then a prayer. But all of us, all of it is underneath these Stations of the Cross. And that came about um, one Lent. I was in church saying the Stations of the Cross. It was years after my husband's death. And all of a sudden, I started flashing back to just scenes from my, you know, my husband's journey. And I was just given to know that at that time, even though I didn't think of it that way, we really were walking the way of the cross. And I think it's not something you would automatically think, gosh, I'm walking the way of the cross now, but I think it's helpful. And I, I think it's helpful for us to compare what we're going through with what Jesus went through. And it gives it, as I say in the book, cosmic meaning. Right, right. There's a lot of practical pointers in the book as well, isn't there? Yes, yes. And that was really important to me. I didn't want this to just be, there's a lot of spiritual stuff in here too, but I didn't want it to just be that. I wanted to show people, I mean, as Teresa of Avila always says, God is with us amidst the pots and the pans. And so it's, this is, it goes from the horror of the diagnosis. And I mean, horror, I was so shocked. I mean, this all started as a boat, what we thought was a bone bruise on the bottom of my husband's foot. And, you know, he just put a Band-Aid on it. He didn't think it was that big a deal, but it kept growing. And we didn't know why. So he kept going to different doctors. And, and Brian, I remember at one point, I even, I don't want to say I heard a voice, but I, it came into my mind, you better pay attention to this. And I, it was so strong. I just stopped and I was like, okay. And I, I, I was like, well, what can I do? What can I do? And I, I was working as the editor of the Catholic Standard and Times in Philadelphia, the diocesan newspaper. And I thought, who do I know? Who do I know? Well, I knew a woman who was, um, you know, the wife of a guy who was the head of one of the big hospitals there. So I called her up and she, you know, got us an appointment for, you know, and, and again, they just said, well, my husband at that time, he had been a, a big athlete, but he had gained weight over the years. And so they kept telling him it was a non-healing ulcerized pressure wound. And so they put him in a cast with a hole in it. They put him in a wheelchair at one point. It just kept getting bigger and bigger. It was ridiculous. And um, he was actually in the office of another doctor when a nurse there um, heard him tell the doctor in the waiting room because it was he wasn't there for that reason it was for another reason why you know how's it how's it going Stu and he says not well you know and she said you have to go see our doctors at this little podunk hospital in New Jersey we had been to all the big hospitals you know what I mean the ones with the reputations and so my husband went to visit them young hotshot guys they're like you're too young for this Stu. You know, you'll come on in, we'll do a debriding, you know, just take the bad skin off and, and you know, it'll be fine. So we were so sure it was going to be okay. I went to work that day. I, you know, he said, honey, you have a big day. Just go to work. It'll be fine. Well, you know, the phone rings and I pick it up and I'm like, hi, honey, how did it go? And I think he said it this way because he was so shocked himself. He just said, it's cancer. 
I, I mean, I could barely talk. I, I was like, what? You know, I mean, it's cancer. And I, I was so shocked, Brian, that I hung up the phone because I had to go there. And I picked up, I went into the lunchroom, microwaved my lunch, came back, sat down, lifted my fork to, to eat it. And I was like, what am I doing? I, I mean, I honestly was in that much shock. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I, you know, threw the fork down, ran out of the office, you know, got in my car. I'm crying the whole way. I get there just to me, that many was going to die immediately. I didn't know we were going to have this eight year journey. Um, I get there. And I mean, he just as the doctor gets there and he's crushing my hand, my, my husband holding it as it was it was right before a long weekend. Um, you know, they said, we don't do this, you know, and it. It gave us a whole weekend to be terrified. Um, I tell people in the book, number one, what are some lessons out of that? If you go are not getting an answer, don't just keep going to different doctors in the same specialty, go to a different specialty and maybe check out an oncologist, which is a cancer doctor, because if it's not cancer, it will at least eliminate one of the leading causes of death. Because it, you know, frequently, if a, if a doctor is so specialized anymore, you know, this is a doctor. It's so specialized. People just tend to see what their specialty is. So, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, I I, I try to pull out every lesson I can. You know, I, I get into how to pick a good doctor, how to find a good hospital, how to find good nurses. Um, but taking you through, I mean, I had an amazing spiritual experience at that point where I couldn't even sleep, Brian. I, I was beside myself. And, you know, I guess the, the the last night of that weekend, I finally fell into an exhausted sleep. And I don't even know how long I was asleep. And all of a sudden, I, I woke up and I just sat straight up in bed. And this is the Holy Spirit because I don't pray like this, okay? I just said one word, Father. And I felt this ball of energy is all I can describe it, like come up against my arm. And I went, Father, if that's you, come. And I just felt this explosion of peace, just peace that I hadn't had since I heard it was cancer. And I just laid back into what I described as the arms of God, and I went to sleep. And when I woke up, everything had changed, even though nothing had changed because I felt God was with me and boy, did I need it because, you know, it was going to be eight years of increasingly emergencies were more common. That was more our norm than the normal life. Yeah. Um, but not everybody will, will get that, but you have to decide in the beginning. And that's why I, I am I going to do this? Am I all in? And am I going to walk with God? Because I'll tell you something, if it wasn't for him, I couldn't have done any of it. And I'm not kidding. So choice we have to make because um, some people, you know, they get bitter and angry. Those are probably all normal emotions we have to work through. You know, why me, God? What did I do to deserve this? But, you know, below the image, the words, Jesus, I trust in you. Those are easy words to say. But you know, living it, that it's very difficult to live, isn't it? Yes, 
And I have a whole chapter there, Brian, where I talk about, it's called, we try for a miracle. And I mean, we went through, oh my gosh, you know, I work at EWTN. So, you know, I get a chance to meet a lot of people like you, you know, but I was interviewing the man who would eventually be responsible for the first miracle for um, Cardinal Newman. Um, he had been healed. And I was on the phone with him and he was describing, you know, what had happened. And I, I was writing it up for a, our Inside EWTN blog. And as you well know, because I did one on you. And at the end, he said to me, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, you know? So I just said, well, my husband's going through this thing right now. And he said, well, you know, come up, you come up to Massachusetts and I'll pray over you with a relic of, you know, Cardinal Newman. We did that. We did, we prayed with the Padre Pio's bloody glove. Um, Sister Breege McKenna, who's this amazing nun that a lot of your viewers will know, prayed over my husband. Um, you know, novenas, we had people, we did all that and we didn't get the physical miracle. So I say in the book, okay, how should you think about that? Because I had plenty of time to, you know, mull over that. And, you know, okay, the Lord tells us with the parable of the persistent widow that, you know, you should keep praying. Okay, you shouldn't stop. We don't, we don't give up. But the parable that I think is meaningful here is the one where the friends take the paralytic and lower him through the window. To, so he can get to see Jesus and Jesus can, they hope, cure him, right? So what happens in that parable? Jesus says, courage, son, your sins are forgiven. So, of course, everybody's sitting there like, well, wait, we wanted this physical miracle, right? And Jesus said, knows what's in their hearts. And he says to them, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? So you may know that the son of man has the power to do this, rise up and walk. What does that tell us? It tells us that to Jesus, the most important thing is not the physical healing. It's the spiritual healing. It's forgiving sins. Why? Because he wants us to get to heaven. That's what, he, that's eternal life. You know what I mean? He's not, he has the broader perspective. And so it's something we have to have too, because that's the main thing, especially with husbands and wives, getting your loved one or your child or your whoever it is, is helping them get to heaven. And, you know, Jesus died on the cross. I, I, I would think about that a lot, too. The father sent down his son to die for us. Why? So we could we could be saved. So what is he going to use our suffering for? You know, that's something to think about, because obviously suffering is necessary or he wouldn't have let that happen with his son so it's something the the other thing that I, I noticed a lot was you will get gifts as you go through this you know I you may wish you were a more patient person a kinder person a more compassionate person someone that could help other people better you know you will get a lot of those gifts and a lot more will be given to you as you go through your own suffering. You'll start to notice, I, I mentioned at the end of the book, um, little things like I'm in church and, you know, my husband couldn't put down the pew because it hurt him, you know, and it, he had bad knees and bad, just, it was, it, it was hard on him. And I noticed the lady next to me, this is after his death. 
you know, I noticed she had problems. And so when it came time to put down the pew, I just put my hand down and I said, it's okay. And she looked at me like, really? And I said, it's fine. And I just, you know, knelt on the floor. Now, do I always see that? No, but I wouldn't have seen it probably at all <laughs> if I hadn't gone through that with my husband. And, you know, just things that you start to notice that when you're in that peak of health and everything is going great, you just don't notice. Right. So those are just a few of the things I would. You know, isn't it also so important? You know, we, we pray and the Lord wants us to pray. It's like the lady kept coming to the judge, you know, but isn't even more important than the healing, as you mentioned, the fact when we can say, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And that's what Jesus said. And that's what the son said to the father, thy will be done. And it's a hard thing to say sometimes. And sometimes you have to pray it and say, Jesus, I want to want your will. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe there's part of me that doesn't want it, but help me. I, I, I want to want that. And you'll get the grace. Let me go back to Stu. Um, he was in the military and you get this terrible diagnosis. Did they, they try to get the cancer out locally, surgically, but obviously it spread, but then share what, what happened next in the walk with his knee? Didn't he have swelling and problems there or what, what was well, next? They ended up taking out uh, 23 lymph nodes, which, and they said, you might get some swelling. You see, again, these are the understatements that you get, you know, and it's like, of course you're going to get swelling. And I wish we had realized that immediately because we could have taken steps right away. Um, there's things you can do to try to reduce that. And I, I was able later to use that. My sister got cancer um, and she had it um, in her, also in her, her leg, but it was in her uterus. Um, and she started to swell up. And I was able to tell her about a machine they had that had been much improved by the time she got it, um, which helps to move the lymph fluid. But anyway, um, I tell that part because I want people to know, I mean, he, he was carrying around quite a burden. You know what I mean? His leg was probably three times the size of a normal person. And it was very heavy, filled with cancer, filled with cancer, uh, le leaking, you know, I mean, just, you could see the cancer on the outside. I mean, it was outside the leg. Okay. And um, I, he won't, we usually went on vacation into Florida or some hot beachy place. And I knew he'd be miserable. And I remember saying to him, okay, well, I, I thought about it because he always liked to go on vacations. We better do something cool. So I, I researched it. I said, okay, honey, well, we're going to go to Maine this year. He goes, no, we're not. We're going to the beach. I know you like the beach. I'm like, no, we're not. And so we ended up having this whole thing ended up going to Maine. Yay. Um, and you know what? We had fun. Could we do what we normally did? No. And, and that's what I try to tell people as we go through the book of all these, you know, hard things. You may not be able to do exactly what you did before, but you can still look at what your loved one can still do. And, you know, we at that point, he could still walk. You know, we could still take, take drives and look at the, you know, we were in, uh, what do they call Acadia National Park gorgeous you know i mean just have dinner looking out over the water you know i mean just little things that you can still do um so that you know we got through that um and then he 
I moved down here. We, I got the job at EWTN and Stu was all for it. He really thought it was going to be so wonderful. He had been cured of, a, the first cancer was melanoma and he had been cured. So he, when I got this call, he was thrilled. And second day on the job, I call him up and he was going to finish up his job up in, he was a teacher and he was going to, he was teaching physics, um, going to finish out the year and he was going to join me and, you know, we would go back and forth. What happens? He gets leukemia. And I just said to him at that point, oh my God, I must have misunderstood what the Lord wanted me to do. I'm coming home. You know, I'll be there. And he said, no, honey, you are our future. You do what you need to secure the job. Brian, you can't even imagine how hard that was. You know, I mean, oh, and I go through that. And again, it's never just to tell my story. It's to show ways and I, practical ways and things that you can do if you're in this situation as well. Um, yeah. And I mean, that was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done because I mean, I, I asked the Lord because I, I went up there. It was so sad to see him, you know, was laying there and, and I couldn't be there constantly, you know? Um, but I asked the Lord if I could be there when he received chemo for the first time. And I was able to be there. Um, and he went through the first three rounds, I want to say up there, and then came down here and finished up at UAB, which is another very good hospital. Um, we were at Abington, by the way, in Pennsylvania, which is an excellent hospital. just want to say that. Um, but, you know, there's good hospitals, there's bad hospitals. And I go into how you know and what you can do. There's patient advocates and what you can, you know, I didn't know that till very uh, far into our journey. If there are people at hospitals that are there to help you navigate when things get rough. And um, they're supposed to be listening to the patients when the doctors who are busy, you know, nurses who are busy, maybe aren't paying the attention that the patient needs. You know, you mentioned something in your book I want to bring up, and that is that Stu was just a wonderful, loving man, good man, wonderful husband, but he suffered tremendously. Yeah. There were a couple times you mentioned that he kind of got upset with you and you think, oh, I did something wrong or, you know, why is he doing this lashing out at me? But that that's so normal, isn't it? It is normal. And it's a lot of that as you as you get further into a really serious illness, you get really serious drugs and they mess with your brain. Um and my thing was, and, and I'll explain what I did, which is I do not recommend, and then how it, what I think you should do. Um, one thing that we didn't do ever was yell at each other in public. You know what I mean? We just, we didn't yell at each other really ever, but I mean, especially in public. And it was three times in a row that he just all of a sudden, it was out of character, just started yelling at me over just ridiculous things. You know what I mean? And embarrassing me. And the first time he did that, I thought, well, you know, he's really feeling a loss of control and he's on drugs. And I was making all these excuses for him in my mind. And so I let it go. And the second time, again, I knew he was in pain and we we're leaving the hospital and, it was, and I, I let it go. And the third time <laughs> we were in a hospital and I had gone across the street. He wanted some um, food that was not hospital food, which he was allowed to have. And so I, at that point, um, he was becoming paralyzed. And um, 
I had gotten somebody in there to help us because I couldn't move him. And um, I went across the street to get something, came back and realized I had forgotten to get this person something to eat as well. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Here, let me give you some money so you can get something. Well, he started yelling at me because he didn't think it was enough. I didn't give her enough. So after she left, I let him have it. And it was because I had let it build up. And he immediately was like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. But because I had let it go so long, just my bad wasn't enough. You know what I mean? And so I was, I let him have it. And afterwards, I felt like a terrible person. That's what I say in the book. Well, okay, what should I have done? Normally, I would have said something to him the first time. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, take more than a minute. Wait till the, if, if it's a heated moment, wait till it's over, you know, and then say, you know, honey, um, your illness is affecting, it's affecting me too. And, you know, I'm tired. I mean, he had me running back. I, I would go into work, go visit him at the hospital in the morning, go into work, come at lunch because he wanted to see me at lunch, go back to work go home, run back, you can feed the dog, come back to the hospital at night. You know, I was running around like I was tired. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if I had explained that to him, one of the, uh, I used to say to my mom, uh, the, one of the three reasons I married him, he was always willing to try new things. He could make me laugh. And he was always willing to say he was sorry. And if I had said that, he would have said, I was sorry. I'm, I'm sorry in the beginning, but I bottled it up because I was trying to be saintly. Right. Don't try. Don't do that. You know. <laughs> now, at what point then his legs, you said, was massively swollen. Did they say we got to amputate all the way up to the thigh? Was that to cure? They thought they were going to cure the cancer or was the swelling so bad or combination? No. It, yeah, it was had it gotten so so huge. And it was we had some a, a wonderful doctor that would try to take some of the cancer off to make it a little easier for him to get around, even though we knew it wasn't going to be cured. And at that point, Brian, the, if it had been, he, Stu was misdiagnosed for a year. That first time we went a year, a year. If he had caught it in the beginning, I, he'd still be here, I believe. But so it had already spread, but this was to give him more time. We were always looking for more time, praying that you know, there'd be a cure that would be discovered. You just never know. And it was the bravest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they, they kept us waiting in the, the hospital for the entire day. So the poor man, no food, no, you know, nothing. And they finally, I talk about it in the book. I mean, you see things of your loved one that you never thought you'd see. He was such a warrior. And, you know, I remember when they wheeled him out into the operating room, he had his hands on either side of the, the rails of the bed and he just turned toward the operating room and he went, you know, and it was just, uh, oh, you know, that resolute, like he was going into battle and he was, and he, he told me later, he went in, he could see the saw on the table. I would have fainted, you know, I mean, oh my gosh. And, but he actually, because he felt a surge of energy after all of that drain, you know, of the cancer was taken out, there was still cancer in him, but not anywhere near what was in that leg. So initially he had a surge of feeling almost well. Um, but of course that didn't last. 
Now, how did you get through all this? If you were to say to, you get a phone call, EWN, a person starting to go the beginning of the journey that you went through, what words of encouragement or what words of, this is how I got through it, what would you tell them? Well, okay, I have a whole chapter on hope. And this is key. I didn't understand before I went through all this. You know, you, most of us know, okay, faith. We know what faith is. We know what love is. But hope is a more amorphous concept. You know what I mean? Well, who doesn't have hope? I used, I used to think. <laughs> um, doctors are not God. <laughs> and they, they, they can tell you what they think, but only God is going to decide, hopefully, if you don't cut it off, you know, prematurely when you die. I mean, Stu, they wouldn't, they didn't give him any chance at all. And he lived eight years, eight years. What if we'd just given up, you know? Um, but I talk about the fact that doctors are often told, well, don't, don't give the patient false hope. But I think some of them take it to mean, don't give them any hope. And, you know, I had doctors stomp all over my heart um, with, you know, that's it, you know, this is, they're just very, I think they have to, for their own sake, maybe block off their feelings and just, you know, present things in a very clinical detached way. Okay. But you don't have to take it as gospel. And there are many, many, many stories of people living well beyond that so-called, you know, and I recommend it's very important that you're able to talk to somebody who's been through something similar, not just anyone. And I really mean that because people that have been through it, they can give you a lot of platitudes and, you know, holier than thou things. You want somebody who's gone through it. And, you know, a couple of things. I mean, I remember I have a friend here who has, whose her husband had died and she had said to me, you can call me anytime. I don't normally do that. You know what I mean? I don't normally ask people, but I was so upset after this one doctor that I just, I felt horrible. I just felt I lost my hope. And I called her up and I thought I was good. And then as soon as she answered the phone, I started crying and it wasn't what she said. It was just that she listened with a compassionate heart. And, you know, I remember when, when Stu had his leg, was going to have his leg amputated, that was such a horror to me. I could hardly breathe. And I had to be brave while I was with him, like, oh, yeah, we can do this. But when I left, I, I just was, and I called my mom, and I'm telling her what's going to happen. And I just suddenly said, Mom, I'm so scared. And she said, honey, you know, Why? And I said, I don't understand how he's going to be able to sit. You know, I don't, but just saying that, I felt the fear start to drain out of me, just sharing it. So share that, find someone, or, you know, someone that you can share this with. And if you have no one, you have God. Go into adoration and sit there until you feel that peace that only God can give. So, Making the decision to walk with God is so key, Brian. It's so key. Uh, I, I, one more story about that. I remember in the beginning, 
I had to go in and wrap Stu's leg. He was waiting for me and laying in the bed. And humanly, I didn't want to do it. You know, I mean, ugh, right? And again, this prayer is given to me. I just looked up to heaven and said, divine physician, help me. And immediately I got the grace. Yeah. And I walked in and I was like, okay, let's do this, honey. And he's like, honey, I'm so sorry. I have to put you through this. And I was like, it's not a problem. And at that moment, it wasn't because God gave me the grace and we got it all wrapped up, got it ready. And I said, okay, now let's go have a nice lunch or, you know, let, let's do this. Let's do that. Just something to take us out of the heaviness of what was going on. And I, it, when I'm in the book, we made, oh, I can't even tell you how many trips we made from Birmingham to Houston, to MD Anderson. And after a while, that just gets exhausting. And so I talk about things you can do to have some fun when you're doing this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, I mean, it doesn't all have to be terrible. And we learned how to do things that. You know, our sister ministry, Healthcare Professionals for Divine Mercy, we've been for 18 years, Marie Romagnano, has yearly conferences for doctors and nurses. And we're trying to instill an attitude of divine mercy in the workplace and that their profession, their job is more than a job. It's a vocation. And you mentioned the same thing in your book, because I think it's so important that God called you at this time while Stu was carrying his cross, you had your own cross. Yes. And you looked on it as a vocation, didn't you? I mean, it's, I think what you're describing though, divine mercy with physicians is incredibly important. I can talk about, I mean, there were doctors, forget the ones that weren't good. Let's talk about the ones who were good, you know? And we had a number of those really amazing doctors. When Stu was going through his final illness, and this is just one example, um, there were all kinds of medical people in the room. I mean, he'd been going to the hospital. He was throwing up. He we would find out his stomach, this cancer had eaten away his stomach. He couldn't keep anything down. He was gray. And they were in there. I can't even tell you how many people were in the room. There was a doctor that was standing there. And I was, I was standing there. I must, he, he must've seen my face. You know what I mean? Just the overwhelm. And he came, he, he came over to me. He said, come with me. And he took me out of the room. And he said to me, have you been through this before? And I said, no. And he said, well, I have. And let me tell you what we're going to do. He said, I know you want to bring your husband home and I want that for you too. He said, right now, the insurance company is denying that because they're saying um, that he, he can't have, he have to be on hospice and therefore he can't have anything that might help him to, you know, get better. He said he was having these heart palpitations. He said, they won't kill him, but they'll make him wish he was dead. He said, he needs the medicine. I'm going to tell the insurance company that if they don't allow him to have that medicine, then I'm not going to let him go home. And they'll change their mind because it's more expensive for them to keep him in the hospital. And that was so kind. Wow. You know, he, he took care of us. You know what I mean? And I, I think of that man, I mean, I, God bless him. Um, you know, there were, there were people like, even if you're a receptionist, I remember at one point we had gone in and 
um, we did not have good news. It was back in the beginning of the, one of the beginning diagnoses of when things were wrong with the bottom of his foot. And there had been a series of MRIs, CAT scans, whatever the heck they were doing, and we would have to wait for the results. And we were waiting at the elevator. We'd left the office and we were feeling very discouraged. And the receptionist ran out by the elevator and she looked at us and she said, I'm not allowed to tell you that the x-ray or the whatever it was looks good. And we looked at each other. <laughs> I mean, that was so nice. You know, she just didn't want us. Now it ended up not being good, but that's okay. She gave us hope and she wanted to help. Right. Um, you know, people along the way, you can make a difference, such a difference by little things that you do, just being kind because people are, when you're in that and you're so caught up, you know, that those acts of kindness mean everything. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you know, you're looking for anything and there being Jesus right there to you. And exactly, exactly. You know, your book, is so practical, it's heart touching, walking the way of the cross for caregivers, how to cope practically, emotionally, and spiritually when a loved one has a serious illness. It's available at ew10rc.com. Um, any closing thoughts you'd like to share with us, Michelle, before we wrap up today's show? Yes, and I also wanna say the book's available on Amazon I too. I forgot to mention that, thank you. If, it's, if you want it paperback and digitally. Um, you know, the, I think I've said pretty much through this, the importance of walking with God. I think if you're not close to him now, you, you will be. Um, if you just turn to him in even the slightest way, because I think a lot of times we start out and we think of God as being out there. You know what I mean? And, and we think of it as separate from what we're, we have the time when we pray and the time when we're, you know, doing whatever we're doing. I, I try to show in the book how organic it all is. You know what I mean? That you're, you're praying a lot of times on the fly. You know what I mean? Like the divine physician helped me. Um, and, and you get grace. And I think the more that happens, the more you trust him, you know, the more you learn it's, he's not just out there. He loves you. And he wants to help you. And, and he will help you if you ask. Yeah. It's all he, that, that's, what, that's our part. Ask. ask. That's the ABCs of mercy, the A, ask for his mercy. And uh, he's there. Well, Michelle, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Mercy Unbound. It's great to see you again. You've written a wonderful book, Walking the Way of the Cross, available at uh, E.W. Chen Religious Catalog and Amazon. And uh, people, I hope you enjoyed the show. Subscribe, share it with your friends. And remember, we need to be the light of the world. Uh, it's hurting, it's broken, and it needs us uh, right now to make things better. So thank you again for joining me, everyone, and God bless. Thank you, Brian. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash dr brian b-r-y-a-n thatcher t-h-a-t-c-h-e-r and on all the major podcast forums i would love to speak at your church or conference and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world thank you again 
And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.